0: That's so the to see the children, isn't it? I miss them, sometimes even joyfully. <laughs> we are blessed with a, a great group of young people, youth group. Good to see Tristan and the young people up here in their section. God bless you guys. We are in a series entitled 40 Days of Love. This series is designed to help us build strong relationships. I want each and every Crosspoint member to become a black belt in loving each other. Now, in order to love each other, the best way to do that is to have an example. And what better example could we have than the Lord Jesus Christ Himself? Amen? Amen. And so we're going to look at Jesus today. What Jesus had to say and how he modeled love to us. Look at this first verse. This verse, we're starting off with a killer verse. John, chapter 13, 34. I'm giving you a new commandment. Uh Uh-oh, what's new about it? In order to understand the new commandment, you've got to go back to the old commandment. What was the old commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, everyone with me. I don't have a chalkboard. If I did, I'd draw a big circle. That circle, you see the circle in your mind's eye? That represents your life. That is your circle. That is you. In the middle, put yourself. You've got to love yourself in order to love your neighbor, right? Now, put your neighbor right there in the middle with you. Get it? Got it? Good. Jesus but I'm giving you a new commandment. Well, what's the new commandment? Love each other in the same way I have loved you. Whoa, how did Jesus love us? Here's Jesus' circle. He took himself out of the center and put himself on the outside. Whoa. I'm having a hard enough time, Lord, with the old commandment, and now you're giving me a new commandment? You see why I said, I can't live the Christian life. I can't do what this is telling me to do without help from above. Anybody else need help besides me? I don't know anything about love. I'm trying. I'm looking to Jesus. I'm studying. I'm learning. I'm on the journey, but man, I need help. Anybody else need help with learning to love like Jesus loved? He says, that's what we're supposed to do. And he says, I'll be your example. John 13, 15, I have given you what? An example to follow. Do as I've done to you. Now, What does that mean? What does that look like in practical terms? If I'm going to love like Jesus loved, then I must do four things. You got your outlines out? Number one, I must accept others the way Jesus accepts me. If I'm going to love like Jesus loves, I'm going to have to learn to accept others the way that Jesus accepts me. Followers of Jesus Christ, cross-point members ought to be the most accepting people in the whole wide world. We really should. The deepest wounds you've ever experienced in life are wounds of rejection, are wounds when you wanted to be loved, when you wanted to be accepted, but you were rejected. Those are deep, deep wounds, and they leave leave deep emotional scars. Maybe you were rejected by your parents. Maybe you were rejected by your peers. Maybe you were rejected by a former spouse. And and because of that rejection, we put on all these defense mechanisms because we don't want to be hurt anymore. We don't want to be rejected anymore. And so we just start thinking, well, how can I live my life in such a way that no one will reject me anymore? Well, it comes out in the kind of clothes that we wear. You know, hey, I want to fit in, so I'll wear the clothes that everybody else is wearing, and then they will accept me. Rather than being you, who God made you to be, you try to be like everybody else. See the defense mechanism we sometimes use? Sometimes it comes out in our hairstyles, the kind of cars we drive, the kind of careers that we go into, career choices. But here's the deal, folks. It's a myth to think that if you could just become perfect, then everyone will love you. That is a myth. How do I know that's a myth? Because Jesus Christ was what? Perfect. And they nailed him to a cross. And so Jesus just was Jesus. And God has called you to be who you are, uniquely you, because you are his masterpiece. He created you to be you, and there's no one else like you. So quit trying to be like everybody else. Quit trying to put on a facade for other people. And be who God has called you to be. Because he accepts you just the way you are. Have you ever stopped to realize that? See, we talk a lot in the church about accepting Jesus. But have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus has accepted you? That's really a point that we sometimes forget. Look at John 6.37. The Father gives me my people. Every one of them will come to me, and I will always what? Accept them. Always. What does that mean? That means always. It's unconditional. He doesn't just accept you on your good days. He accepts you on your bad days. And he knew the bad day was coming, and he knew the good day was coming, and yet since God has already got a perfect love, he can't love you anymore Then he already loves you right now on your mountain peak days. And he can't love you any less on your valley days. Because he knows every day you're going to have. Because he knows what's going to happen throughout eternity. He's omniscient. That's just one of the natures of God. And so it never surprises God when you have a good day. Or it never surprises God when you commit a grievous sin. Wow, didn't see that one coming. No, he sees it. He knows it, and he accepts you anyway. Isn't that good news? Isn't it good to know that God knows everything good about you and everything bad about you? The good, the bad, and the ugly. And he says, I still want you. I still love you. I still accept you just the way you are. What a good God we serve, amen? But you know what? Even though I just said that, there will still be Christians in here today that will say, wow, that's just too good to believe. I'm not sure that I can really believe that. And so they don't feel accepted by God. They feel like God's always putting them down. They feel like God's always blaming them for something. Always on their case. That they're never good enough. And if you have those kinds of feelings... Let me tell you something. Those feelings are not coming from God. They may be coming from you. Maybe they're coming from the devil. Maybe they are coming from an unpleasable parent. You know, you grew up with unpleasable parents, and now you're transferring those feelings about your unpleasable parents to God, and he's some unpleasable father. Not true. You know, unpleasable parents, you get C's, and what do they want? They want B's. You bring home your report card, the next time you got B's, now what do they want? They want A's. You get A's, they want A+. They're unpleasable. You can never satisfy them. God is not an unpleasable parent. God accepts you for who you are. The good, the bad, the ugly. He still wants you. He still loves you. He'll never, ever reject you. Psalm 27.10 Even if my mother and father forsake me, The Lord will what? Receive me. You're acceptable to God. Titus 3, 7, Jesus treats us much better than we deserve. Yeah, you're right. He made us acceptable to God. And he gave us the hope of eternal life. How how did he make us acceptable to God? Think about it. He made us acceptable to God through his grace. He died on a cross, extended his sacrifice for us, substitutionary atonement. <clears throat> and he says, Father, here they are. They're now acceptable. I accept them. Now you're thinking, but how can he do that? Because I can see all my past sins were forgiven, but I'm still a sinner. And I will continue to sin. How can I still be acceptable in his sight? Here's something you need to understand. You can accept someone without approving of what they do. Remember, we talked about King David last week and his story about you know, adultery of Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite, he ends up killing. God didn't approve of any of that. But he still said David was a man after God's own heart, and he accepted him. In, in John chapter 8, 1 through 11, we read about a woman taken in the very act of adultery. Jesus is in the temple. Picture a scene like this, all right? He's up in front of the group. He's preaching, teaching. And into the audience comes a group of deeply religious men, the Pharisees. They're either dragging or pulling a woman along with them. And they walk right up in the middle of the service. Ooh, don't you know that it had to have been embarrassing for that woman? Could you imagine that happening here today? You know, the elders grab some woman, bring her there. This woman was caught in the very act of adultery... Man, embarrassing situation. Do you feel what she's going through a little bit here? The law says we stone her. Oh, by the way, where's the man? Isn't it interesting? They never bring the man. This is a setup to get to Jesus to make him look like a real meanie, okay? Jesus knows what's going on here. You never get one past Jesus. The law says stoner, and you know what Jesus does? They must have been in the outer court. The the Bible says he stoops to the ground and he begins doodling in the sand. And he won't look up. But these guys are relentless. They keep on pounding out the question. What do you say, prophet? What should we do with her? And finally, Jesus just looks up briefly and says two words, stone her, stone her. Oh, and by the way, you do know that the law that you're quoting also requires that the witnesses cast the first stone. Who were the witnesses? These guys that just brought her in. These guys that wanted to look so good in the sight of the people, oh, backfires, right? They all turn around and they leave from the greatest to the least. And now the only one left in the church service is who? Jesus and the woman. And he says, Where are your accusers? although the text doesn't say what I'm about to say, you can almost hear that catch in her voice. I have none, Lord, well, except if you condemn me. Because who was the only one there without sin that had the right to cast the first stone? Jesus. But what, what does he say? No, no, girl, neither do I condemn you. Go your way. Sin no more. Mm. You can accept someone without approving of what they do. Now, God chose us. God chose us, and He chose to accept us. And then He makes us acceptable to the Father by His grace. And now, here's what He says. If, If I did that for you, there's the example. You do that for others. Romans 15, 7. Accept what? One another. How? Just as Christ accepted you. Romans 15, 2. We must bear the burden of being considerate of the doubts and fears of others. Anyone ever have doubts? Anyone ever have fears? Sure. And so if I'm If I'm going to be like Jesus, then I'm going to have to be considerate of your doubts and fears. But oftentimes, you know what, we downplay them, we shout those, you shouldn't have doubts, you shouldn't have fears, and we create the very thing we're trying to destroy. Isn't it amazing how our doubts and fears make so much sense, but yours are really, really stupid? That's not being considerate. That's not being loving. Get it? Good. Action step this week. This week I will show acceptance to someone who irritates me or is hard to love, all right? This week I will show acceptance to someone who irritates me or who is hard to love. Anybody have any EGRs in your life? Extra grace required. Number two, loving like Jesus, number one, I accept others the way Jesus accepts me. Number two, I value others the way Jesus values me. How much are you worth? I'm not talking about how much do you have in your bank account or your net worth, your house, your car, all that stuff. I'm talking about how much are you worth to God? You are infinitely valuable to God. How do I know? Because God created you. Jesus died for you. The Holy Spirit lives within you. And if you're a believer, you're going to live forever with God in heaven. That's how I know God values you. Jesus talked about your value in Luke chapter 12, verses 6 and 7. And and he, he starts by talking about little sparrows. Are not five sparrows sold for two small coins? Say a couple of pennies. What's he saying? They're not worth much. They're not up to much. So they're not worth much. Yet, not one of them escapes the notice of God. These little sparrows over here that aren't up to much and they're not worth much, God notices them. Then he makes the application to us. Even the hairs on your head, including the ones that went down the sink this morning, have been counted all been counted. So don't be afraid. God knows the number of hairs on your head. And they're constantly changing, right? So he's got a daily update, you know. There are some that are growing. There are some that are, you know, turning loose. And others are turning gray. And he keeps track of all that stuff. If God cares about little sparrows, he cares about you. Because you're worth far more than a sparrow. You're valuable. Now, value depends on two things. Number one, who made it? Who made it? <clears throat> Anybody a painter? I, I did some finger painting when I was in elementary school and brought it home to my mom. She put it on the refrigerator, man. She made me think like that was worth everything. But you know what? If someone says, I'll exchange that for a Picasso, my mom would have took the Picasso, okay? <laughs> Why? It's a Picasso! Picasso! Who created you? Who was the master craftsman that designed you as his workmanship? God. And so value depends on who made it. God made you. 1 Timothy 4, 4, everything God created is good, including you. Ephesians 2, 10. For we are God's workmanship, his handiwork. He designed you, made you, created you. You ever wonder why you're good at some things and not other things? Well, that's the way God wired you up. We are God's masterpiece. Why did he create us all so different? He wanted all the different jobs in the world to get done. And so he needed some doctors and, you know, he needed some lawyers and he needed some truck drivers. Aren't you glad we got truck drivers that deliver? They say like 90% of what you have in your home came by truck. We need all these jobs done. Aren't you glad we got musicians, you know? I wish I could play something, don't you? You ever get jealous? You wish you could. Eh, God didn't wire me up that way. There's got to be a reason. Maybe just wanted me to preach. You know, I met some preachers that they were either good preachers and lousy musicians, or they were great musicians and lousy preachers. You rarely get both gifts, right? Well, value depends on who made it. And value also depends on what someone will pay. How much is your house worth? Only what somebody is willing to pay you for it. What's your car worth? I've sold a number of cars over the year. You know, like Car trader, and then online, you can do that sort of thing. You know, the guy that bought it didn't think it was worth as much as I thought it was worth. And so I had to sell it for what he wanted because he was the only one that wanted it. That's all he was willing to pay. Sold my son's bedroom set when he outgrew that. Still, we paid like a ton for it. Sold it for pennies on the dollar, right? Isn't that the way that goes? Value depends on what? Someone is willing to pay. I heard about a sheik, an oil sheik in the Middle East. His daughter was kidnapped and he took out a full page ad that said, we'll pay any price. She's the king's daughter. Now what about you? 1 Peter 1.19. He, that's God, paid for you with what? The most precious thing he had. The precious lifeblood of Christ. Look how valuable you are. Look how much God was willing to pay for you. How much are you worth? If you ever doubt how much you're worth, you just look at the cross. You cannot say, I am worthless, when you look at the cross, because God says, I gave everything I have for you. And the people that told you growing up that you were worthless, that told you that you didn't matter, that you would never amount to anything, There were liars, liars, every single one of them. Because my Bible says you are valuable to God. Isaiah 49, 15, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion for the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your name's on his hands. That word engraves. well, we get our word tattoo from it. I I said that one time at at, at a service, and a woman came up to me and said, Don't say that. My 16-year-old daughter wants a tattoo, and here you are up there preaching. God's got a tattoo. Not my words. God says, I've engraved you. What is that? That's a tattoo. Now, I said, well, the next time I preach that I'll be quick to say, but I would never get a tattoo. As your preacher and your friend, I would advise you not to. And I'd mentioned one time, I was at the, the, the fitness center one day, and there was uh, a couple of guys I was talking to. This guy was tatted all up, man. I'm, we were talking about his tattoos, how many thousands he had. And he asked me, do you have any? I says, no, I, I don't have a single one. It's against my religion. He says, really? He'd heard I was a preacher. Well, what religion are you? I said, I am a devout coward. <laughs> no needles on me, man. God says, you're worthy, you're acceptable, you're valuable. Now go and treat others that way. He's our model. He's our example. 1 Peter 2.17 Treat most everyone you meet with dignity. Is that what that verse says? No. Treat everyone you meet with dignity. Everyone. Everyone. You mean even people that disagree with me, especially people that disagree with you? Jesus did that all the time. Here's your action step. Number two for this week. This week, I will affirm (coughs) the value of somebody who has low self-esteem. Number three. Loving like Jesus means... I must accept others the way Christ accepts me, value others the way Christ values me. And here it gets tough. Forgive others like Jesus forgives me. Oh, this gets tough, doesn't it? Nobody said it's easy to be a Christian. Now, some people, they just have the wrong view of God. They think God walks around carrying grudges when we do something wrong. You know, I had someone say to me, you know, my car broke down. Must be God. he's, He's carrying a grudge for that thing I did. Last year, I asked for forgiveness. I know it was a biggie. Shouldn't have done it. This is the third time this year my car's broken down. I'm sure it was God. He's carrying a grudge. What? What? God broke your car? Well, I did hear about a guy. who everything went wrong in his life. His wife walked out on him. The kids got suspended from school for taking drugs. He got fired, and on his way home, he smashed up his car. He gets out of the car. He looks into heaven, and he says, Why me, God? And he hears this voice, Because some people just tick me off. Now, that's a cartoon, folks. That's not Bible. You don't tick God off. God knows everything you're going to do in advance. It's not a surprise. It never sneaks up on him. He knows it already, and he still says, you're valuable, you're lovable, and you're forgivable. I still want you. I've already paid for all that stupid stuff that you're going to do in life. We've all done a bunch of stupid stuff, haven't we? Isaiah 43, 25. I am the God who forgives your sins. Aren't you glad that doesn't say, I'm the God who's just waiting to get you. But do you ever feel that way? I mean, we we, we laugh, but you know, a lot of times we feel like God's holding a grudge. God cannot possibly forgive me. It sounds too good to be true. And I say, I know, but it's still true. That's the message. Jesus Christ forgives us. Ephesians 1, 4, long ago, when did he do all this? Even before he made the world. God loved us and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Are you without fault? No, but you're without fault in his eyes. Why? He covers it all up by his blood. Therefore even before you were born God took care of your sin problem and he took care of your guilt problem. Romans 8:1 puts it like this. There is therefore now how much condemnation folks? No condemnation. For those that are in Christ Jesus. The question this morning, are you in Christ? Yes, I am. I accepted him. And he accepted me. I'm his, he's mine, and that's the way it's going to be. No change in that. Now once you become a Christian, if you still feel condemnation, know this, it is not coming from God. It's probably coming from you. Maybe the devil, I don't know. But it's not coming from God. <clears throat> Some Christians just live below their spiritual privileges. They're forgiven, but they just walk around not feeling it. And I guess you can do that. And one day you'll get to heaven and you go, Whew, "Boy, I finally made it." But that's a miserable way to live. That's not the life that God wants you to live because you're not going to be very effective if the good news isn't good news to you first, are you going to be out sharing the good news with others? And so the devil, his number one job, once you become a Christian, is to make you feel guilty, to make you feel worthless, to make you feel ineffective, so that you're not out there sharing the love of Jesus with others. Don't let the devil win. Colossians 3, 13 you must make allowances for each other's faults don't you love it when people make allowances you messed up you know you messed up and you fess up and people say you know what it's okay i'm going to give you a pass and that feel good and yet how hard is it for us to give other people a pass when they mess up oh we love it when it's coming our direction, but we're real reluctant to give it the other way, aren't we? That's not loving like Jesus loved. Luke 6, 37. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn. It is not the church's job to condemn. That's why the world thinks we're a bunch of stick-in-the-muds. Ah, those are those hyper, hypocritical, narrow... Empty people. I don't want anything to do with them. Do not condemn. My Bible says, Matthew 18, shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I have had mercy on you? What's the answer to that? Of course. Absolutely. Action step number three. This week I will offer forgiveness to someone who has hurt me or is carrying a load of guilt. Ooh, good action step. And then one more and we're done. If I'm going to love like Jesus loved, I must, number four, believe in others like Jesus believes in me. And believe me, Jesus believes in you. 1 Corinthians 13, 7. If you love someone, you will be loyal to him no matter what The cost, and believe me, loving costs its sacrifices. You will always believe in Him, always expect the best of Him, and always stand your ground defending Him. Isn't that a good modern speech version of that verse? God did that for you, He stood up for you. Now, do that for others. John 17 18, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Who's the them there? That is not you, that is not me. In context, he's talking about the 12. The 12. Okay, God, you sent me into the world. I preached, I taught, made disciples, died, rose, just about to ascend into heaven. I'm now sending the 12. I did my job. Now I'm sending them. I gave them an example. Now I'm sending them to do their job. Hmm, this is very, very interesting. Jesus trusted the future of the entire world on 12 fishermen. Think about that. Can you imagine when Jesus finally got up to heaven? All the angels gather around. Jesus, man, it's great what you did down there. You died for the whole world. You rose. You showed everyone that you're the Son of God. Fantastic. Fantastic. But what's your plan B if those 12 guys don't carry out the mission? And Jesus says, no plan B. It's all riding on those 12 guys. What? You've got to be kidding me! No, Jesus believed in others. And God looks at a cross point and says, I'm counting on you. I believe in you, Ricky. I believe in you, Jonathan. I believe in you, David. I believe in you, Robert. I'm counting on you. I'm trusting you. Follow my example. Believe in other people. Mark 9.23, Jesus said, everything is possible for him who believes. That's just the Bible's way of saying, I believe in you. Matthew 21, 21, Jesus told him, I assure you, if you have faith and don't doubt, you can do things like this and much, much more. How is it possible to do the things that Jesus did and much, much more? Well, here's what you've got to remember. When Jesus was on earth, he was not omnipresent. He was bound by the physical body, right? And so if he healed somebody, he healed that one person right there in that space and time. But there were people all around the world that had problems and hurts and needs, And as the church became worldwide, guess what? We multiplied Jesus. We're His hands. We're His feet. We create hospitals and schools. And and we're praying for people that are sick. And those prayers get filtered through Jesus. And now Jesus can answer prayers all around the world. Because we can be where He could not be while He was on earth. Romans 1 verse 12. I want us to help each other. With the faith that we have, your faith will help me and my faith will help you. You know, this is why you need a church. But more specific, this is why you need a growth group. Your growth group will help you when your faith is weak. Have you ever had the faith kicked out of you by the world? And you are just down, down, down. And you show up to a growth group or maybe one of the men's group, like Robert yours Meets. And not, no, here's what I've noticed about our group. Our group, not everyone's down at the same time. And so those whose faith is strong helps those whose faith is weak. And then when their faith is weak, then this guy's now up. He can help their faith get strong. See how that's supposed to work? We help each other. I help you. You help me. Hebrews 10.24, let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. How do you do that? The way you do that is through a growth group. And if you haven't gotten a growth group yet, it's not too late. It's never too late to join. You just look in the bulletin. They're all in there. Pop in. We'd love to have you. You can pick up a book, see Vicki Mahawk out there at the guest services booth right after the service today. And you're in. Psychologists tell us that your self-image is largely determined by what you think the most important person in your life thinks about you. As your preacher and as your friend, I'm telling you to make Jesus Christ the most important person in your life because he thinks you're marvelous. He thinks you're wonderful. He, He can't live without you. He loves you. He values you. He accepts you. He says, you're lovable, you're forgivable, and you're capable. I close with a true story. Fred Crotick is a preacher. You can even Google that name and find this story. He tells a story of one time he and his wife were vacationing in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. They were seated at this nice country restaurant having a wonderful meal. And a stranger, an old man, came up to them and said, Are you folks on vacation? And Fred says, Yes, we are. And we're having a really good time, too. And the old man says, Well, what do you do for a living? Fred says, Well, I'm a preacher. He said, Hey, really? He pulled up a chair and said, I want to tell you a preacher story. He said, I was born an illegitimate child. I never knew my father. And it was very, very hard on me growing up. The kids in school made fun of me. I didn't have any friends. And when I walked around our little town, I always felt like people were staring at me saying, I wonder who's the father of that boy. One day a preacher came to town and everybody was talking about how good he was. And I'd never gone to church, but I decided I would go and hear him. And so I went. And he was good. And so I kept going back. But each time I went to church, I would come in late. And I would leave early so I wouldn't have to talk about anybody. That sounds like some of our members. This one Sunday, I got so caught up in listening that I forgot to leave early. And as the service ended and the people stood up, I couldn't get out the door. See the picture there? Suddenly, I felt a heavy hand on my shoulder. When I turned around, there was this big, tall preacher standing there with his hand on my shoulder, looking at me and said, What's your name, son? Whose boy are you? Whose son are you? I just shook when I heard that question. But before I could say anything, that preacher said this. Well, hey, I know who you are. I know who your family is. You have a distinct family resemblance. Now watch this. You're one of God's children. Isn't that good? You're one of God's children. He said, those words changed my life. Forever. The old man got up, and he left. The couple motioned for a nearby waitress to come over and said, that man that we were just talking to you, do you know who he is? And the waitress says, oh yeah, everybody knows who that is. That's Ben Hooper, two-time governor of Tennessee, A man learned, a boy learned that he was a child of God and it changed his life. Who is it you know that needs to hear that they're one of God's children and they need some encouragement this week? That's our job if we're going to follow in the example of Jesus. Now I know that Every single one of us in this room have been wounded, have been hurt. And some of those wounds run really, really deep. Don't let what other people say about you or have said about you define who you are. Make Jesus Christ the most important person in your life and start filling your mind with what he says. I close with one final verse, Ephesians 3:18. Beautiful words. If we could just get this down. Understand these words the apostle Paul <clears throat> would be well on our way to being like Jesus. May you have the power to understand as all God's people should how wide and how long And how high and how deep God's love really, really is. Ooh, I want to know that. I want that deep within me so that can come out of me when I'm dealing with difficult people. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you can heal broken hearts and bitter memories and damaged self esteem. Thank you that we matter to you. Thank you that you turn nobodies into somebody's. <clears throat> now you pray in your own mind and your own heart. Gotta hear you. Maybe you'll claim this prayer as your own. Dear Jesus Christ, help me to see myself the way that you see me. Thank you for creating me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. I don't understand it all, but I thank you that you accept me and that you value me. Help me to care more about what you think of me than what other people think. May the truth set me free. In Jesus' name, amen.